Matthew chapter 5. We've been in the Beatitudes for two months. I think that's appropriate. Spending time with each one of them, trying to get the meaning that Jesus is communicating. So I think it's time for us to put all of the Beatitudes together. Remember that Jesus is thinking of a person's character. And if we talk about the ideal person of the Beatitudes, it's a person whose character now is formed by the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the characteristics that constitute the character. Does that make sense? Um, There's a difference between characteristics. They're small. Uh, They're components of character. And so the Beatitudes are characteristics. We want to look at the character today, all these characteristics integrated into one whole person. In Jesus' world, these Beatitudes were negatives. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, Poor, whatever it's attached to, uh, is definitely not a positive quality. It's low grade. Uh, It's not enriched. Uh, So these are negatives in Jesus' time. They're also negatives in our world today. Uh, They are the things that embarrass us um, about ourselves, that make us feel weak or vulnerable or needy. They're unappealing and they're threatening. And I still like blessed are the meek. Um, I don't like so much blessed are the humble because you can be humble and be cool or blessed are the gentle, you know, because you can be, you know, a grandma and, you know, and it's not a bad thing for a grandma to be gentle. It's a very good thing. But meek, nobody really wants that. And, um, and because no one really wants it, it's probably because we don't understand it, but we don't understand it because we don't want it. We don't spend time with it. So, so these were negatives, but Jesus turns them into positives. And that's the nature of the Beatitudes. Another surprise is that they're not a list of religious values. I mean, Jesus is opening up to us the doors of Christian spirituality, but he's not saying, blessed are the great of faith, or those who pray daily, or those who fast regularly, or those who read scripture, or those who go to synagogue or to church. He's not saying those things. Those are the things we say today. Those are the um, religious commitments that we think will form a Christian character. Um, But Jesus has a whole different idea about that. Um, Before reading scripture and growing from it, before heading off to the synagogue, uh, before praying every day or fasting every week, something else has to, to be in place. And we can't jump over that something else and just get religion. Um, you know, so-and-so got religion in, in prison. Um, well, maybe, uh, but not just by jumping into it, um, thinking, I can do this religious thing. 
You know, I, I know I can do this. Um, that's just the opposite of poor in spirit. It is not poor in spirit. So Peter, after the resurrection of Jesus, is a different person from Peter before the resurrection of Jesus. In fact, the night before his resurrection, Jesus said, and I, I think he said it with a deep sigh, so that's how I'll say it. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And does Peter say, oh, thank you, Jesus, for praying for me. Thank you for seeing my weaknesses and and bringing them to God's attention so that he'll help. No, Peter says, Lord, I'm with you, even if it means going to prison and to death. And Jesus says, Peter, you're really going to die for me? And that's when he tells him, before the rooster crows to announce the dawn, you will have denied me three times. So, you know, Peter's not poor in spirit when he says, I'll die with you. But he learns poverty of spirit. And that's why he's different after Jesus' resurrection than what he was before. That bravado has been knocked out of him. And I say unto you, no, I won't. Um, Okay, first of all, there's the word that links the Beatitudes. That's the word blessed, obviously. Um, The English word bless can mean to give a gift. I, I was blessed by this gift given to me. I was blessed with a gift. It can mean to give praise, bless the Lord. And it can also refer to a condition in which we live. And the Greek, here, the Greek word here is specifically referring to a condition. It's not a gift, not a divine gift. God doesn't give us these beatitudes because we accomplish poverty in spirit. The state of being poor in spirit is a blessed state. That's what, that's what comes of this. Uh, it is a, a fortunate state that we're in. The word happy doesn't quite cut it, though that's preferred by many. Happy speaks of a state, a a mood state. Uh, Prosperous is misleading, uh, but it could be, you know, prosperous are those. Um, In our everyday language, we would say the good life. The good life is poverty in spirit. Uh, The good life that God smiles upon. or we could say, uh, you're healthy and thriving when. Okay, so all of those words speak of a state or condition, and that's what Jesus is addressing. It matters. It matters because it's coming from Jesus, and he knows. He knows what he wants. He knows what he wants us to be. He knows the character he wants to see in us. I come from a tradition where everything is about teaching the word of God. That this is what people need. And, um, and my dad had a wonderful philosophy about this, which most of the Calvary pastors don't understand, don't get. 
are you watching me? I wish I had my cell phone. I'd text you and tell you to knock it off. Uh, is it? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> okay. Um, no, in my, um, in my dad's teaching, his philosophy was that the job of the pastor is to take the books from the high shelf that others can't reach and to bring them down to where it's understandable to everyone. And he did an excellent job of, of doing that. But the, the problem that I see in the movement that developed from that, or I should say the tradition that developed from that, is this strong emphasis on educating church members in scripture without sufficient concern for developing their character. And you can assume that if they get enough teaching of Scripture that it will develop their character. I think that's a faulty assumption. And sometimes all we're doing is, is, is creating really biblically literate, obnoxious people <laughs> who use the Bible like a weapon. I mean, they, they take literally that it's a sword, and they, they stab others with it. So, um, so it's important that Jesus is saying, this is what I'm looking for, and we hear it so that we're not afraid of it. And so that we look at it again, hopefully in a new perspective. So what I'm going to do now is give you my paraphrase of the Beatitudes. I want to just read through them all, but... If I try to read through them, I know I'm going to stop and make comments about them. So instead, I've just paraphrased them. And see if, if hearing them, you can hear them as if from Jesus to you today and feel the cumulative effect of hearing all of them at once. Okay? So don't try to memorize. Don't try to hang on to anything in particular. Uh, if you need it, I can give you my notes later. Just for right now, just hear it as if sitting on that mountainside, and Jesus opens his mouth and he says, blessed are those who recognize their deficiency, who are so broken and weak that they cannot deny it. Unlike those who do not think they need a savior, the broken know. They know they need help and they welcome it. And so they are welcomed into the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who know the pain of a broken heart and the sorrows shared by most of the world, those who have experienced their own humanness in this way, for there is an end to it, and they will find out the only true comfort in God's Holy Spirit. Blessed are those whose ego has been subdued and tamed, whose hot tempers have been doused, and whose claws and fangs have been pulled, so there's no more fight in them, and they are not a threat to anyone, but can let others go first and be happy for them. For one day, they will own the promised land. Blessed are those who are discontent with the way things are, who have gone from wanting justice for others and mercy for themselves, who long to see people act less like animals and more like a loving human family 
because their dream will come true. Blessed are those who forgive because there's no longer room in their hearts for resentment, who can always find spare change for the indigent, who are known for their compassion because one day when it matters most, they will be shown compassion and mercy. Blessed are those whose lives are oriented to the one thing that is needful, who aren't half-hearted, but are possessed by one passion, because these men, women, and children will see God. Blessed are those who build bridges rather than barriers, who reconcile enemies and restore broken relationships, who help people meet and interact with strangers and discover all the things they share in common, because the people who have God's peace in themselves and bring it to the world are the ones are one with God in character and purpose and will be known as his own children. I'm sorry, I have to digress just for a moment. This last week, um, the North Korea thing has been bothering me too. Um, and, and not just that it exists, but just how it's being handled. And I feel like if the world were, were an elementary school, that one of the, the school marms would get out there on the playground right now and tell the bullies, stop this name-calling. It's not polite, and it's not mature. So just stop the name-calling. I mean, at some point, you have to say, I'm, I'm going to stop the aggression. And it begins in my heart. And um, you know, so that's one way of stopping fights on the playground. Blessed are those who have suffered for trying to make society more loving and kind. Those who have found that the world does not share their hunger and thirst for righteousness. And for that reason, their proposals for peace have been rejected. Those who have received not peace prizes, but disgust and contempt for trying to reconcile the world to Christ because they are welcome into the eternal life of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you're insulted, rejected, ridiculed, falsely accused, and abused for your devotion to me and my will. Or you suffer for your willingness to be ruined because you loved someone you are not supposed to love. You can celebrate and be happy for you are being treated like God's prophets and like them, you will find a great reward waiting for you in heaven. You see, in putting all the Beatitudes together, a quality of character emerges from them. A, a merciful, kind person will hunger and thirst for righteousness in their lives, in their community, in the world. Uh, they will also grieve over the world as it is today. They'll cry like Jem's daughter. And um, they'll also grieve for the role that they've played in making the world this way and not doing more to make it different. That same person will work for peace. A broken person will feel, feel empathy with other broken people. And then mercy flows naturally when you feel mercy uh, or c compassion or empathy, um, as long as it's not blocked by something. A character then emerges in the Beatitudes, a character that is transparent through which people can see Jesus or see the effects of Jesus or see the love of God, see the reality of God. A, a character 
emerges that is so transparent, so so over self that this other life can light up the world around them. Now I'm convinced that a person can enter this this character building process through any of the Beatitudes. You don't have to start the first and then work your way down. I think any of them can be a road in. So all you have to do is just identify with one beatitude, come to God through it, and then he will lead you into all of the other beatitudes. He'll, he'll work the, the, these traits into you so that this character is formed in you. But it, it, it takes trust in Jesus, that what he's saying is true, that, that there really is this this condition, this healthy, spiritually healthy condition of people of this character. And that means that what seems to take you the wrong direction can actually take you the right direction. And I hope to make this a little bit um, more clear. Um, This is not the easy road to glory. In fact, it feels more like failure than success. You know, it's like the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not an easy thing for people. You know, um, I I had a um, a week long. I went to a week long retreat one time. I was 18 years old, and it was held at the uh, Orange County Jail. And um, <laughs> I thought I remember alumni. <laughs> And there was this, midweek, there was this old guy who was brought in and, and put into our cell. There were, I think, four of us in the cell already. And uh, he took the bunk below mine, and he was trembling. He was not in good shape, and he had those, those characteristics of years of alcohol abuse. And, uh, well, you know, I was the preacher, so... Um, <laughs> You know, doing my uh, my ministry, my jail ministry, and um, I said, "It looks like you've got a drinking problem." And he said, "No, no, I, I, no, no." I mean, he was adamant. He had no problem with alcohol, and when it was time, you know, for lights out, and the lights hadn't been out for very long, and our bunk began shaking, and. He was in really bad shape, so we called for the bulls and um, uh, the guards, and four or five of them came into our cell, uh, which was probably unnecessary, and he opened his eyes. They must have looked like demons to him. He was in the DTs big time. So someone can be that far into alcoholism and find it impossible to take the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous, and that is to confess that their lives had become unmanageable and that they were unable to help themselves um, or fix themselves or right themselves. And so um, why would I want to say that? That's going backwards. That's like admitting I'm defeated already. And Jesus says, but you are defeated already. And you have to admit, you have to come to this 
realization sometime or other, or else I'm of no help to you. He said that those who are healthy don't need the doctors, those who are sick. So are you going to let me be your doctor or not? And if you are, you have to be honest and open about the sickness. So um, as we as we come this path with Jesus, after a while we might ask, what's happening to me? Yeah, I, I feel not like I'm being built up, but I'm being torn down. I'm being stripped. And, and all of my great wisdom and, and acquired skills and talents, God's not putting any of that to use. He's, he's showing me character defects. He's taking me into my inner self and showing me how unloving I am, how unmerciful I am, how uh, belligerent I am. Um, what's happening to me? Well, this is happening to you. You're, you're being worked in every part of you, your body, your heart and emotions, your, your mind, your soul. It's all being worked. Think of this as therapeutic, Spiritual therapeutic massage. Have you ever had the therapeutic massage? Oh man, it's brutal. It you know. Uh, what happens is you want the deep tissue thing, so uh, the therapist comes to a knot in one of your muscles, and um, that's where stress has. Uh, congealed perhaps and there are all these contractuals that pull are pulling the muscle together and oh it's sore and sometimes uh, it even develops into a thing where you can't turn your head at all you have very little mobility in your neck and the therapist comes and says oh I found a knot and you go oh okay and then she drives her thumb through the knot into your spine (laughs) which is what it feels like, and, and sometimes it's not the thumb, because that's just not strong enough. It might be the palm, or their skinny little elbows, <laughs> you know, on which they can put so much pressure, and, you know, the pressure is there, and then they roll it around to make it worse. Um, and uh, it's such a relief when they stop. Now, supposedly, the contractuals have been dispersed, and... The muscle will relax, and in a day or two, you'll say, wow, I'm going to go not do that again. (laughs) You're getting the spiritual therapeutic massage. God's massaging this new character into you, into all the parts of you. And just be patient. Take a deep breath. Breathe out slowly through the pain, and drink a lot of water afterwards. Through the Beatitudes... Jesus is telling you, it is okay for you to be what you are. Jesus can't accept me as I am. He says, that's exactly where I accept you, is where I find you. And it's okay to be exactly what you are. This is where we must begin, with reality, with the truth about ourselves but get to the truth about yourself this requires a lot of vulnerability Um, James Finley tells a story and I can't really tell it the way he tells it 
uh, in present company. But he uh, was a psychiatrist. He is a psychiatrist who went to work for the VA hospital, and he was given several sessions of group therapy. And one of them was the AA meetings in the hospital. And when he first went into the room, the presenter that morning, or host or whatever, said, um, uh, Dr. Finley, I need to, to uh, tell you a little bit about this group because we start off kind of different and then it goes into a regular AA meeting. And he says, okay. And he says, well, at the beginning, um, I'll start it and no one says anything. And I'm sorry, but that includes you. And there will be two chairs in the middle of the room facing each other. And all the other men will sit in a circle around those two chairs. And he says, so I just want you to be there and to watch what happens. And so the meeting starts. The host sits in his chair and invites a newcomer, first time to the meeting, to sit in the chair opposite him. And all the men in the circle sitting around have their heads down. And the host asks the man sitting across from him, what do you love most of all? And in this case, the man said, my wife. And all the men looked up and shouted, bull? Yes, thank you. <laughs> and then put their heads down again and went silent. Well, the man's shaken up by this. It's like, you know, they're all shouting, you know, they're all calling BS on him. And he's, so he's all shaken up. And the presenter again asks him, what do you love most? And he said, well, God knows I love my children. And they all looked up again and said, B.S., and put their heads down again. Third time, the presenter said, what do you love most? And he said, alcohol. And all the men started clapping and cheering for him. They all came over to him and formed a line. And each one of them passed by him and gave him a hug and welcomed him into the group. So we have to begin with this brutal honesty. This is what I am. And, and now Jesus can do something with that. That's the, the whole thing. Be true to what you are, because what you are is the condition that prepares you for God. There are a lot of people who would have never called on God, except they learned they didn't have to. They could begin with a higher power. And calling upon a higher power warmed them up to God. It's my natural condition that fulfills the criteria for God to work in my life. So that's what I, I bring to him. You bring to him anything else? He, he's not going to say BS, but um, he might say, you know, that's nonsense. You know, be real with me. Let's not play this game. You know, and, and you don't have to feel tons and tons of guilt about your confession. Maybe the guilt drives you to it. But once you make the confession, God says, now, you know, this guilt stuff is not at all motivating. It's not at all helpful. It won't get you where you want to go. So let's, let's do our best to not hang on to that. There will be things that bring it up. 
you know, a child who won't talk to you or whatever. But God says, let's get past that because it, it will take you the opposite direction. It will take you down rather than lift you up. John Wimber, who at the time was the president of Vineyard Ministries International, um, no, maybe it's just a vineyard pastor at the time, did some work with me. And um, he asked me at one point, Chuck, why do you preach the way that you do? And um, there might be a couple of people here who remember the way that I used to preach, Rich and Terry, no doubt will. But, um, you know, basically it was hellfire and brimstone. Uh, And uh, I thought I was a success if at the end of the service everyone had tears in their eyes for what bad people they were. And um, I said, well, John, you know, people won't repent of their sins unless they see that they are sinning and they feel really bad about that. So I'm there to make them feel really bad about their sins. And he said, well, you know, you're not changing anyone. You're just making them feel bad. I was so mad at him. (laughs) Because he was so right. And shortly after, I decided that for the rest of my life in ministry, I was going to present grace to people because grace is what lifts people up. Guilt condemns and it brings people down. Grace lifts up and God is full of grace for us. So understand this, that Jesus Christ is himself the energy of the Beatitudes. He's the guarantor of the, of the Beatitudes. Is this really going to work? Is this really going to work? And Jesus says, yes, it's really going to work. And, and that's what turns them from negatives into positives. And this is why it will work. It's because I'm working with you in each of them. And the wonderful thing about Matthew is that he wrote the story of Jesus because he knew that Jesus lives today and would live 2,000 years from the time that Matthew lived. And he felt that his story could introduce people to the Jesus who was alive in their times so that he could be to them the energy of the Beatitudes and say, I will walk you through this. I will help you through the rough parts. It's not that he's our sponsor. You know, We may still need a mentor or spiritual director or sponsor, but he's the life of the Beatitudes. He's the change agent within them. He is the... He is the motivation, he is the, the enthusiasm, he's everything that we need to continue with them. All right, the Beatitudes. They're wonderful, and, and the life that they lead in, us into is really the best, really the blessed life. But after all of this, Jesus looked I think first at his disciples, those closest to him, and then at the crowds. And he said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city 
set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your good works shine so that people can see them, see the light. Um, be the, the salt. <sighs> He's telling them, you are what the world needs. And, and not when you've completed, completed the Sermon on the Mount training course, which will last another 10 weeks. And you've, um, that's, he's not saying that. He's not saying not when you have that perfect character, not when you've, you've uh, conquered all the Beatitudes uh, or adapted them or whatever, um, but already, already you fit the criteria. You're already there. You're already the salt and the light. I mean, just for being drawn to Jesus, just for wanting to hear what he has to say, just for hearing a beatitude that fits you. The world doesn't need more conquerors and oppressors. It needs people who know brokenness and grief. People with compassionate hearts. Looking at them looking at this crowd, what did Jesus see? Not what you and I would have seen. We would have seen overwhelmed neediness. The one time I visited South Africa and we ventured into Swaziland and was exposed to the culture there, to a variety of people there. We were at least a couple days in Swaziland um, and taken all over the place. I just felt at the time that our church cannot come here. This is overwhelming. And this is not some place. We should not divide our resources. This is too much. But we should encourage others to participate in works over here. But we should stay focused. And I felt that because it was overwhelming. The disease that was destroying a generation, AIDS in particular, that was wiping out an entire generation, was reinforced by cultural beliefs and cultural norms. And it was incredibly tragic. And it was, I mean, it's the whole culture of a country. And so I could not imagine, what, what do you do to that? When we saw these works, they were like, they were like little bastions of light, little pockets of light in different places, and they were doing a great thing. And I thought, how can we encourage others to support that? Because I didn't see, um, I didn't see the value. I didn't see how us going over there would make a dent in the need. And when, when, if we had seen the crowd around Jesus, we would have had that overwhelmed feeling that this is too great. We're, we're looking at a multitude of beggars, all with their hands stretched out, 
We're looking at desperation and helplessness, abused men and women and children, most of them earning just enough money for that day's meal and never getting ahead of that. We would not have seen people who we thought held the world together. We would not have seen people who we would have thought were the salt of the earth or the light of the world. Whatever else we learn from the Beatitudes, Jesus can see what we cannot see. He can see that Simon, son of Jonah, is really a rock of a man. Not his, his bravado, but his inner man. Only that's never been tapped. That's never been developed. And Jesus says, from now on, you'll be the rock. We need to ask Jesus to allow us to see through his eyes. So we see what he sees. We, we need a vision that transforms the poverty of spirit from a negative to a positive and says, oh, okay, I, I see how this is, is good, good for me and good for others. We need to see others. We need to see others through the eyes of Jesus. Of course we do. But we also need to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus. We're not as great as we think, but we're not as bad as we think. We need to see ourselves through the eyes of Jesus because today he is telling you and I, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And if we see ourselves through Jesus' eyes, our good works will be seen by others and glorify our Father in heaven. Would you stand with me, please? May the Lord bless us, keep away all evil, and lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.